0: Well, church family, once again my name is Daniel, and we're ready to dive into God's word as we kind of kick off a new series called Christmas in the Shadows. Typically Christmas is supposed to be a time that is filled with, you know, celebration of joy, peace, hope, right? Happiness, you know, as uh, all kinds of smells and lights and feelings, those things. But the reality is there are some shadows. In our lives aren't there 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 are some things that kind of block out the light and try to cast a shade over our joy over our hope over our peace amen maybe for you these shadows are illness the loss of a loved one divorce loneliness addiction depression Wrestling with a number of, of different issues, relationship tension, and these shadows just kind of come and um, and and how is God working in the midst of the shadows? because as these shadows come the, their intent is to steal our joy, amen, to steal our hope, to steal the peace that God wants to give us. and uh, as we think about that very first Christmas often uh, we we tend to sterilize it a little bit, you know what I mean as 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 a uh, little baby Jesus you know, lay in the manger and, and sometimes we sing that song, right? No no crying he makes. I don't know about you. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And I never met a baby that didn't cry. I met some crying babies in my time. And um and so I don't think baby Jesus was just there. everybody you know Mary was just there all happy and everything. I mean they they were born most likely, he was born most likely in a in a stable around farm animals. And I don't know about you, but if you ever been in a stable where some farm animals were can I just tell you the smell was was not quite like a Yankee candle? <clears throat> I mean, it punches you in the face, you know. I've been, I've been into some open air stables where they got like four doors, and you still go in there, and manure just kind of hits you, just, bang. And so there were some shadows over that first Christmas, and, and I find that, I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging because um, when the shadows come in my life, I know that Christ is there in the middle of it, amen? And how many of you are glad that in the midst of the shadows that you have, how many of you know that, man, a shadow has never hurt anybody, unless you're a shadow boxer. But a shadow has no power to hurt you. How many of you know that the light is still shining? There's just something that's obstructed my view. But as the Bible says, Christians, as believers, says we don't walk by sight. No, it says the righteous or the just will live by faith knowing God is still there, even though I can't see him, even though something is blocking my view from what God is doing in my life right now, even something is blocking my view from my relationship with God, maybe I just don't feel as close to God as I normally do. I know that God is working because I walk by faith, not by sight. And so we're going to examine over these weeks of Advent uh, Christmas in the shadows. How do we walk by faith? And, uh, And Advent simply means coming it is is the Latin word for coming, the arrival of Christ. And during this season, as we're celebrating, we're kind of in that uh, Jesus has already come. And now we as believers, we're waiting for him to come again. Amen. And so we're, we're, we're identifying with the people of Israel who hadn't heard from God for over 400 years. And there was silence. and There was darkness and, and no word from God. And then Christ came and how that celebration was. But there was that period of longing, right, that period of waiting. And, uh, and some of us are waiting right now. You're in a season of waiting. And so as as Christians, we kind of celebrate this, uh, this angst, this holy angst of I'm longing for God to come and make all things new. Amen. And so even as we're doing our celebrations, those celebrations are mixed with that same longing. And so we're going to navigate uh, this week. The title of today's message is, What's Your Role During Christmas? What's your role? Go ahead and Announce to your neighbor and ask them, say, what's your role this Christmas? Go ahead, and find a neighbor to bother this week. What's your role this Christmas? You know, we all have different roles, right? You have different roles in your family. You've got parental roles, you've got a sibling role, you've got child roles, you got grandchild and grandparent roles, and maybe. Some of you, those roles were more pronounced this this week as you were at Thanksgiving, and maybe, you know, you know how it is? Sometimes you kind of revert back. You know, sometimes adults, we revert back to being kids and we're around uh, all the other folks. Uh, how many of y'all grew up eating at the kids' table at a Thanksgiving or Christmas? Can I get a shout out for the kids' table people? Right? Yep. All right, good. Hands down. I don't know if people still do that. Um, if they still do the kids' table and the adults' table, we had to reenact that. I just—I was thinking about my kids, and I was like, my kids haven't uh, lived until they sat at the kids' table. And so they, they need to have this experience. And so we made sure there was a kids' table at Thanksgiving for them and, and a cousin, this or that. My kids take up their own table in and of itself. But, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's a different story. But uh, there are different roles. On a team, there's different roles, right? Right? you got the quarterback, and then you got... Um, receivers. You got running backs, and that's just the offensive folks on one team in the game of American football. Then you got the defensive team. You got linemen. You got uh, different ends. And you got—I mean—you got all different roles. And, and the linemen don't do what the cornerback does, and they don't do what a tight end does. It's all these different stuff. And in basketball, there are different. You got the the point guard who brings the ball up. You got a shooting guard, and you got a Small Ford or a Power Ford. You got a center, and they all have different roles, and they have to operate in different ways. And there are different roles at your job, right? You're not always the boss. Sometimes that gets our nose has been out of shape because we got to play a different role in our job, and we have to take orders, and we don't like the way somebody else does it. They're all different types of roles. And as we head into Christmas, we're in this Advent season. I want to ask, what is your role during this Christmas? Because the world would tell us our our role is to uh, shop, right? Uh, The world would tell us our role is is to uh, do as many events as humanly possible, right? You got to go to enough Christmas parties, kids' Christmas parties, kids' work Christmas parties, and all these sorts of stuff. There are all these different roles. and Maybe a a role that our world would tell us you got to eat. And eat and eat and eat and eat and eat some more, and you gotta have some Christmas cookies because Lord knows it's it's not Christmas if there's no Christmas cookies, right? And uh, I mean that's the way I feel about it just personally. But um, and so there are these different roles, and so what is your role? And uh, I brought with me here. This is from our kids' academy play, a little a little prop for us here as we think about the uh, manger scene right? Little baby Jesus here. And, um, and and there are different characters, there are different roles in the Christmas story, right? And today I want to talk to you about a character in the story who, who who I would like to say is kind of the unsung hero of the Christmas story. The person that actually is in the shadows, they don't get a whole lot in the spotlight. But they fulfilled God's role God's plan and God's purpose. And, and some of us, hey, can we be honest? Sometimes what's causing strife in our life is because we're not willing to play the role God has given us. We want to be center stage. We want to take the role because, you know, uh, praise God for some of the different, um, you know, crash scenes, manger scenes, and usually, hopefully, Jesus gets center stage, right? And then you got the cast of characters. And in order for your life and my life to work right, guess who's got to be center stage? Jesus. And we've got to learn how to play our role that he gives us. Our role in his plan, our role in our relationships, and we've got to learn what is our role. And that is to play the background to the greatest person ever. And so as we look, as we examine the uh manger scene here, you have Mary, right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, she gets a lot of publicity. She has a good role in the story, right? And and as we're thinking about Christmas plays, right, and, and again, the kids are going to do theirs, and uh, some of you have been to some Christmas plays before, right? Some are better than others, right? Most of the time, they're usually funny. I sent a message to our children's director, Miss Amanda Cruz, and to our academy director, uh, Miss Karen Dickerson, because I saw on social media this week um, a kid's play where uh, somebody said they accidentally, uh, they had pyrotechnics in the, a kid's Christmas play, and someone accidentally put outdoor fireworks where they were supposed to be indoor fireworks. And um, I don't know about you, but I never heard of indoor fireworks anyways. <laughs> and so, anyhow, uh, so anyway, I saw all these kids are doing their Christmas plays, and then they light the pyrotechnics, and, man, the fireworks just go off, and it's mayhem in there. It's crazy. I don't know if anybody got hurt, and I probably shouldn't have been laughing at it, but I was. And um, I just have to ask the Lord to forgive me, and don't don't look so spiritual at me right now because I know you like just some things that you haven't been... Supposed to be laughing out, but there are different characters, right, in the Christmas plan. So you got Mary, and Mary has these different parts. She's the mother of God, and, and man, she's she gets to sing a beautiful solo, right? And then you've got the angels, right? And the angels just make this awesome appearance. Man, powerful, bright, shining light. They they appear to the shepherds, they appear to Mary, they appear to Joseph, and they've got these different roles and they pronounce things and they announce things. They have different roles, and, and then you've got the shepherds, and the shepherds get to. Get to talk and they get to do this stuff and they get to go then proclaim the message of Christmas. They they, they come visit Jesus and then they go back to their village. And they start pronouncing, hey the Messiah is here, the Son of God is here. All this stuff is going on. So they've got a big role. And then you've got the wise man, the magi, and, and they come probably historically later, uh, so they're not necessarily in that same scene. But you know, so we're talking about the Christmas story and and they come and they bring gifts and they bring worship and they've got a major role. They've all got these speaking parts but there's somebody else who I think, again, is kind of in the shadows who actually has a non-speaking role. Not one word, not one line to quote, not one line to tweet, nothing to put on social media that we could quote this person. And it's the unsung hero, I think, that sometimes gets overshadowed. This is the person of Joseph. And have you thought about Joseph? He's silent, nothing attributed to him. No. Only silence. Yet, Joseph is irreplaceable in the Christmas story, isn't he? His importance really can't be overstated. And and if Joseph had said no to his role, if Joseph had said no to God's role, hey, guess what? God's plan still would have went forward because God has a sovereign plan, amen? But Joseph would have missed out on a tremendous blessing. And he almost did. And so we're going to examine the character of Joseph uh, today and, and just look at, at what he teaches us in understanding our role here this Christmas. And So if you're taking uh, some notes here, uh, we're going to get ready to put those down in just a second here. But I want to talk just a little bit about Joseph for a, a second because, again, he has no lines uh, and, and we only see him in just a few snippets of scripture. We see him here in the Christmas story. Then we see him later on, just a few uh, pages later when, y'all remember the story when Jesus was 12? And they lost Jesus. How do you do that, right? That's a problem, right? I mean, I know they were they were on their way back from uh, from where they lived to Jerusalem. They were going there for the big festival and the feast, and 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 he got lost amongst the crowd, and they left him there. And um, and all the parents who have ever lost a kid, you don't feel so bad now anymore, because I mean, if Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph lost the child, I mean, surely we're in good company. And um, and so. They lost Jesus. So that's the only time we see uh, Joseph uh, again. Again, he has no speaking lines. And then there's a small reference to Joseph later on when they're talking about Jesus and his ministry. And they're like, who is this Jesus? He's preaching. He's healing people. We've never heard of Jesus. I thought he was just the carpenter's son. And that's the only mention that that Joseph has. The carpenter's son. And so he's kind of in the shadows. But again, he has a major role to play. And in fact, maybe one of the reasons we don't hear so much about him in the scriptures is is most likely, most biblical scholars believe that he probably died at an early age. Uh, Most likely he was already a lot older than Mary anyways, as it was just kind of the custom of that day. And then being a poor first century peasant and a carpenter, he didn't have a very long uh, life expectancy. And so when we see Jesus at the end of his life, you may be familiar with the Bible passage with Jesus on the cross and his mother there is watching and 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 Joseph is not there and he and he says to, to the other disciple, John, he says, Hey, this is now your mother, take care of of my mother. I'm I'm dying and, and it would be Jesus' responsibility as the oldest son. In the case that dad had passed away, it would be the oldest son's responsibility to care for mom. And now since Jesus is on the cross dying, he passes that on. And so it seems very likely that one of the other reasons we don't hear anything else from Joseph later on is that he he perhaps died somewhere uh before Jesus started his public ministry. And so so we don't know a whole lot about Joseph other than these few snippets of passage. But could you imagine here at Christmas, imagine Joseph, right, excited? I don't know if you've been, uh, remember uh, what it was like to be engaged or, or to be standing, you know, on your wedding day and excited. And how do people think on their wedding day, right? They only see stars and buttercups and roses, right? And sometimes you, you got to pray for those, those, those precious little souls because you're like, you don't, know, you don't have a clue what's coming. you know like I, And as a pastor, I try to prepare people. I try to get them through some hard work. I try to ask them some tough questions and that sort of stuff and get them ready. Hey, for better or for worse, are you prepared for worse? You know, in sickness and in health, are you prepared for a lot of sickness in, in your life? You know, because they're just standing there with, with stars in their eyes thinking, oh, they'll never do anything wrong. Oh, their breath will always smell lovely. Oh, he'll never pass gas. Oh, oh, they'll never, we'll never have an argument. Oh, oh, Christmases are going to be wonderful. You know, I mean, they're just stars in their eyes. And so I imagine Joseph and Mary stars in their eyes, and then Mary shows up pregnant. Could you imagine how Joseph felt? Could you imagine the betrayal, right? Could you imagine? Man, I was... I was was planning our future, and I'm working hard as a carpenter day and night. I'm getting our home ready, and you go and cheat on me? Could you imagine how he felt? Man, I bet Joseph was wounded greatly, and so just put yourself in his shoes as we examine this text this morning. I'm sure he felt alone, like many of us have felt alone. I'm sure he felt sick. He probably felt stuck. He probably felt like, man, I can't believe somebody would do this to me. And how did he react? And so, as we engage this morning, I'll give you your role this Christmas. Point number one, you can write this down, is this. My my role this Christmas is to be righteous. My role this Christmas is to be righteous. You may want to put out in parentheses, righteous, especially in my responses to others, right? Especially in my responses to others. Because this is what's happened to Joseph here as he has been severely wounded. God is calling you. Your role is to be a righteous son or daughter, to be a righteous husband or wife, to be a righteous grandparent or great-grandparent. Your role is to be a righteous employee. Your role is to be a righteous teenager, just and upright, to be a righteous son or daughter, to be a righteous teammate to those who play on your baseball team or your football team or your basketball team. To be a righteous student, especially in your responses, look, look back at the text. I mean, let's examine what's going on here in Matthew chapter one, verses eighteen. It says, "Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, right? That's that's a uh, an archaic word for engagement, and in Jewish culture, in first century Jewish culture, a betrothal was a more serious engagement. It was very similar to our engagement, but but a betrothal actually." Uh, because it carried more weight, there was actually a divorce process uh, in this, and, and which is what we see later as as Joseph has a mind to divorce um, Mary. Uh, but so this is a this is engagement plus some, if you will. And so it says, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together—that's a euphemism there, folks—for a physical relationship. Before they came together, she was found to be with. Child from the Holy Spirit. And then verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, there's the word there, a just. Maybe your translation says righteous. Being a just man or a righteous man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her, what? Quietly. This is Joseph's response, right? He's he's a righteous dude. Could you imagine this conversation, right? Mary comes home from wherever, or or I don't know how it happened, right? And Joseph's, you know, working at at the table doing some carpentry work, and all of a sudden he's like, "Did you have a lot for Thanksgiving, babe? Because you got a little pouch there. That pouch wasn't there the other day. Can, can, what's what's going on?" And and then you know I don't know I don't know if she sat him down and said, "Joseph, can you sit down? I got something I got to tell you, and uh, and promise you won't get mad." And uh, you know I, I don't know how that went. But I could just imagine Joseph's reaction as a guy, right? Mary says, I'm pregnant. And Joseph loses his mind, right? Tosses over a table. I don't know what he does, yo. And, And then she says, but I promise there's no other man. It's from the Holy Spirit. Like that just made it better for Joseph, right? Really, babe? Do you think I'm a moron? First of all, you're going to cheat on me and get pregnant, and now you're going to blame it on God. Real creative story, Mary. Oh my goodness, this is this is some daytime TV talk show stuff. There are four men, and we're going to get a paternity test, right? And then, and then somebody's going to fight over it, and 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 the claws are going to come out, and and I mean, really? The Holy Spirit, that's the best excuse you got, Mary. I could just imagine how Joseph is feeling, wrestling with the betrayal, wrestling with being hurt. By the way, it is true. And by the way, we do believe in the virgin birth. Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had placed the baby Jesus. Inside of her womb, and how he did that is beyond my comprehension. But but that's where we get that Jesus is fully God and fully man, incarnate, God in flesh, 100% God, 100% man. And so his father was, biologically speaking, not Joseph. But notice Joseph's reaction, right? He could have reacted in a couple of different ways here. Look again back at verse 19. Notice what it says: her husband Joseph, being a just man, a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to what? Shame. Oh man, when somebody hurts you, what's our first reaction? I'm going to hurt them back. See, Joseph could have easily said, it's off. By the way, do you know that adultery, cheating, pregnant, pregnancy out of wedlock is punishable by death? Wait till I tell the community elders. Wait till we bring you before the whole village and have you stoned you nasty little tramp. Right? Could have said that. Could have said that. And listen, he has not heard from the angel yet. 18 and 19 verses 18 and 19, he hasn't heard from the angel yet, and it still shows what kind of man, what kind of integrity, what kind of God-fearing man Joseph was. That he responds righteously. That he doesn't hurt others when he himself has been hurt. And how many of us wrestle with that, especially at Christmas time? right? When you get wronged, when someone betrays you, when someone hurts you, how do you respond? Can I just get you to prepare for that now? If you didn't already deal with it this past week at Thanksgiving and old wounds were brought up from family members because they said this, they said that to you, this sort of thing happened, they didn't speak to you, how do you respond? Do you respond righteously? When a coworker, when a classmate, when a teacher wrongs you, do you respond righteously? This is how Joseph responded. Or how about this? How about when your plans get shattered? Can we just say that a lot of Christmas plans get shattered, right? You weren't anticipating a Christmas like this, now all of a sudden you're by yourself and you're like, God, why would you do this? God, where are you? I can imagine Joseph's prayers. God, I, I thought I did everything right. I've been a faithful, fearing man of you. I've gone to the, to the temple and I've, I've put my sacrifices and my tithes in. I've gone to the synagogue and I've learned the Torah and I've read your word and this is what I get? Why didn't you warn me, God, about this adulterous little Mary? God, why, my, what's going to happen? Our whole plans are wrecked. He's been preparing this home. Now he's going to be ashamed? And yet, he continues to honor God. He continues to honor Mary. Because as you say, as as you again look in that verse there, it says he wanted to divorce her quietly. He resolved to divorce her quietly. He he could have easily said, hey, I'm going to make this public. That's your fault, girl. But he didn't. So can I ask you to consider when someone hurts you this week, this Christmas? Or can we be real? There's been a lot of past hurts that have already happened. Maybe you've got to go back and re-respond and confess. Hey, my response to you wasn't right. I'm sorry for the way I treated you after that thing happened. And so, do we respond righteously when we're wronged? Joseph could have easily felt like he was the victim here, couldn't he? Oh, everybody, everybody, everybody cheats on me. Everybody lets me down. Everybody's always against me. But he didn't pay back evil with evil. He, he responded with good. And so he said, I'm just going to divorce her quietly so that I can go my separate ways, she can go her separate ways, and then it won't be that big of a deal. And this was really sparing her life. This is actually helping the person who hurt you. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine thinking about their best interest instead of trying to hurt them in response to how they've hurt you? And this is incredible. This is God at work in Joseph's life when he has been wronged and slighted, or at least perceived that he has been wronged and slighted. So, point number one is this. God's role for me is to be righteous this Christmas, but especially in my response. Point number two, you can write this down, is that God's role for me is to be redeemed. Redeemed. Redeemed means bought back, purchased back, rescued. To be redeemed. Why do we need to be redeemed? Because if you look at point number one, can I just help you all a little bit? Ain't none of us been righteous perfectly, right? And because none of us have been righteous perfectly, we all need to be redeemed for our past mistakes, for the regrets, for the things we've said and done. You need to be redeemed, sir. You need to be redeemed, ma'am. Teenager, you need to be redeemed. Grandparent, you need to be redeemed. Single person, you need to be redeemed. All of us need to be redeemed because we haven't been righteous. And I love how the angel comes to Joseph and clears up the the confusion, but then tells him the reason for what's going on here, the real reason for Christmas. Look with me at the text. In verse 20, it says this. But as he considered these things. Could you imagine Joseph, right, just sitting on his bed, twirling his thumbs, maybe punching something, right? You know how us men do, right? dealing with our anger, we got to hit something we got to take it out on something. maybe he carved the daylights out of a table, right but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, notice what he calls him here, son of David, this is a hint to the fact of our redemption because Joseph was from the house of David and this was to fulfill a prophecy. That God had said hundreds, over 500 years and, and greater that he said, I will send a Messiah, I will send a Redeemer, a Rescuer through the line of David. In fact, the only other person who is called a son of David is Jesus. So, so this is an interesting greeting for Joseph. Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. I bet Joseph was like, what? What? No. And the angel continues to tell him, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It was true. It was true, wasn't it? And now Joseph is, is grappling with that. And then it says the reason, the reason why all this is happening, that this is the Messiah. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will what? Save his people from their what? Sins. He will save his people from their sins. Every human being on this planet in 2019, in the first century, and any time before that, after that, in between of that, needs to be saved from their sins. You, sir, or man, need to be saved from your sins. And there's only one Savior. There's only one person who has paid the penalty for your sins. His name is Jesus. And then it goes on. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. And this is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I don't know about you, but I was like, wait a second, somebody got that wrong. The angel just said a verse ago, his name is Jesus. What's wrong with you people? Can't you get this thing straight? But the reminder is, Jesus is now God with us. And That's why it says, which is God with us. They didn't get his name wrong, which is God with us. See, the major problem with our sin is that it separates us from God. All sin separates us from a relationship with God which we were designed and created to have. And you will never be satisfied until you're in a relationship with God. Not religion, but a relationship. And sin separates you from that. And if you die in that state separated from God, you will spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. It's a real place. Jesus himself, the kindest, most generous person, talked about it. But yet he came to save us from those sins, to buy us back. And so you need to be redeemed. I need to be redeemed. And so the reason for the season is not just a celebration of the baby. The celebration of Jesus is because he came to grow up to be a man who lived the perfect life, lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, and to die in our place on the cross. He was fully righteous. He wasn't just here to be a good moral teacher. Are you with me? He came to be the rescuer, the savior, the Messiah. Maybe you're familiar with Romans 3.23. And this is that reminder, right? Romans 3.23 says, for all, all, how many? All, all people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Pastors and priests, Mother Teresa, presidents and paupers, teachers, nurses, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have missed his standard. Then Romans 6.23 reminds us that the wages of sin, what wages are what you earn for what you've done. The wages of sin is what? Death. And that means eternal death. Separated from God forever in a place called hell. But the reason why we celebrate Christmas with gifts is because of the next part of the verse. Amen? But the gift of God is eternal life in who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is offering to each person the gift of eternal life. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God is calling you, sir man. Here is the gift of eternal life. Take it. It's it's got your name on it. There's a bow on it. There's a tag on it. It's wrapped. It's ready for you. And it's the most priceless gift anyone has ever bought. And it's got your name on it. Would you receive it? That's what it means to be a Christian. You receive the free gift of salvation. You take it, you open it, and you make it yours. And you treasure that gift with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. You treasure the gift of Jesus. You're so in love with Him. That's what it means to be a believer. And so we need to be, number one, righteous. Number two, we need to be redeemed. That's our role this Christmas. And then thirdly and finally is this. We need to be ready to obey. We need to be ready to obey. Think about Joseph here, right? His his world has been turned upside down. All of his plans have been turned upside down. And and then now it's been flipped in a different way. An angel appears to him in a dream at night and says, it's all true. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And now what's Joseph going to do? Man, that was a crazy dream I had. Maybe it wasn't real. He still has a choice, you see. He's been given a command by God. He's been given instructions. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Stick with it, Joseph. And he's got a choice to either say, I'll obey or I will not obey. And what does he do? He obeys. If you don't know the story, that's okay. Look, look at the next verse. Verse 24, right? It says this one. Woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Notice, Joseph didn't waste any time, didn't he? Hey, can I just give you a free, uh, 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 this is free bonus. Um, When God tells you to do something, the quicker you obey, the easier it is. Right, if you start delaying, all of a sudden your mind will start doing stuff. My God really didn't tell me to do that. It was just some Chinese food. I don't think I should do that. Uh, you know, what if, what if they don't respond? What if Mary's mad at me? You know, and, and, and the enemy, Satan, will talk you out of obedience the longer you wait. So obey the Lord quickly. It says as soon as he got up, right, when he woke up, he was like, all right, I'm doing this, Lord. I trust you. I'm going to obey you. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. And then look at verse 25. And again, this is important. But he knew her not. Again, that's a euphemism there for their physical sexual relationship. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name, what? Jesus. He obeyed the angel's command down to the T, didn't he? And I know we glance over these verses like it's no big deal, right? But we need to remember how costly obedience is. Did you know that? Sometimes in our modern Christianity, we've tried to make Jesus and the gospel and being a Christian just uh, palatable for everybody, but there is a cost to obedience. There is a cost to obedience. It cost Joseph a lot. It cost him his reputation. Could you imagine, right? We all value our reputation. Everyone was going to know. They're going to be like, wait, 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 wait. Mary, what's with your stomach? They're not fools. They can do math. They're going to be like, wait, you guys, you guys just got married. Where would this baby come from? And they're going to be talking about Joseph up one side. You know how it is, especially small town. Y'all grow up in a small town, small school, and everybody talks about everybody. Like, oh, did you see? Did you see Mary the Tramp? Mary, not Lady in the Tramp. Joseph in the Tramp, right? And then they start to talk about Joseph. Oh, poor Joseph. Poor lonely Joseph. He couldn't do any better than Mary. She pulled the wool over his eyes. How, how, how dumb could Joseph be? He is going to bear the shame and the reproach for something he has not done. Amen. His reputation is on the line. It is going to cost him a lot. Tim Keller, pastor and author, said this. Everybody in that day in a shame and honor society will know that this child was not born nine or ten months after they got married. They will know that she was already pregnant. And that would mean either Joseph and Mary had had sex before marriage or she was unfaithful to him. And as a result, they are going to be shamed, socially excluded, rejected from community events. They are going to be second-class citizens forever. See, there is a cost to our obedience by saying yes to God. Joseph was saying no to everything he had ever worked for. His reputation in the community, right? People coming to him for their tables, for their chairs. All of a sudden, they stopped coming to his business. All of a sudden, they stopped coming to Joseph's carpenter shop. Why? Poor old Joseph. But also, as we read a little bit later in the text, they would have to move. Because another angel would come to them and would tell them that Herod, the king, is after Jesus, and now they're going to have to live in exile. They're going to have to be refugees and live in Egypt for a season. Could you imagine again how that's now trampled Joseph's plans? Now he's got to live in Egypt. He probably had a family passed down business, the, the the Joseph of Nazarene carpentry shop that his great-grandfather had had started, and, and his grandfather had passed on to his father and now passed on to Joseph. Now he's got to close up shop and move down. His, his finances are now in risk. Everything is in risk. Why? Because he's chosen to obey God. So this is significant, that he would bear this. His comfort, his safety, he was going to be hunted by Herod. And so, he would also be raising a young man who was not his son. And I could imagine there was some tension there. But as we see, as we can tell from the limited biblical accounts, he taught him his trade, because Jesus is referred to, As the carpenter's son, and and he knew that, but also it seems that Joseph taught him the scriptures and and he raised Jesus as his own. So here's all this stuff that Joseph sacrificed, amen? And it cost him because obedience is costly. But can I tell you something else? That even though the cost of obedience is high, the cost of disobedience is even higher. The cost of disobeying God is much, much greater. Than obeying God. Imagine again if Joseph had said no. What all that he would lost out on. Yes, he had to suffer. Yes, it was difficult. Yes, he had to go to Egypt. Yes, he he lost his finances and and probably his 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 uh, his 401k or whatever he had. You know, his his meager little savings. Yes, he probably lost his home and he had to sacrifice all this stuff. But he was doing it in obedience to God. And how many of you know there's no greater sacrifice than the one that God has already made for us. And so anything we sacrifice is but tiny compared to that. And so as we process this, how are you doing? Can I ask you that question? You're a seeker here. You don't know Christ. You don't have a personal relationship with Him. Can I just tell you your first step is to be redeemed, that second point that you need to be redeemed. You need to be brought back. You need to engage in a personal relationship where you turn from your sin and you just embrace the free gift of salvation in Jesus. You trust Jesus as your Lord your master, your boss, and your savior. Maybe the, you're here today and you're kind of a stumbler. You're just kind of stumbling around in your faith trying to grow. Maybe maybe obedience is where God is testing you at, and obedience is where you need to, to grow in despite the cost. You know it's going to be costly to live more righteously in front of your friends, but you don't want to do it. You don't want to know you're a Christian. You don't want to think you're corny, right? Whatever it is, you're kind of keeping Jesus on the DL. You're unashamed of him. You come to church and that's cool, but maybe don't want anybody to know you go to church, right? You don't you want to step too far in obedience to what God is doing. You know He's called you to live a certain way, to change some things, and you need to work on your obedience. Maybe you're sold out for the Lord, but maybe your righteousness is being tested this season. And maybe you're not going to be so easily offended when someone hurts you, right? Be them a close family member or someone in the in the Best Buy, the Walmart, the Kohl's, the Pembroke Mall, the Unhiban Mall parking lot, right? And you were getting ready to turn into that spot and you got your blinker on and they just whip around the corner and pull into that spot. That never happened to any of y'all, did it? And you just said, bless their little hearts. We respond with righteousness. Imagine how your home would change if you responded with righteousness. Imagine how your classroom would change. Imagine how your office space would change, right, if you responded with righteousness. And so, as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, so I'm to ask that our, our men would come make the Lord's table ready.